0: Well, it was a defensive gem from the Ducks on Saturday. It's the best defensive performance of the Dan Lanning era so far. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for locked on ducks i'm your host spencer mclaughlin thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day part of the lockdown podcast network your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the ducks so if you haven't already like comment subscribe rate review please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show which today is brought to you by LinkedIn. these days every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business that's why linkedin jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free post your job for free at linkedin.com locked on college terms and conditions do apply dan lanning what stood out and then where we still need to improve because oregon does still need to improve you always have to be thinking we got to get better i don't know if you've watched a lot of pac 12 football i certainly have there are a lot of good teams in this conference washington is very very good USC is quite good Oregon State I know they lost to Washington State over the weekend they're good Uh, the Cougs also a good team but Oregon also a very good football team they looked the part on Saturday and that's the best defensive performance we have seen from the Ducks in quite some time I won't say it's the best one ever because there are so many instances but in recent memory that's the best we've seen and in the Dan Lanning era defensively that is the best game Oregon has played. Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy, Chris Hampton, everybody on that defensive staff all deserve a lot of credit and should be feeling good on this Monday morning or evening or afternoon, whenever you're listening to and watching this show, because that was complete and utter dominance. It was better than the Utah game last year, I thought, because it wasn't relying on turnovers, which are great. Something that good defenses are able to do, take the ball away. It was just pure and utter dominance across the board. Also in my reaction pod on Saturday, uh, it was noticeably quiet from the Colorado fans. Funny how that works so i was thinking about the best defensive performance we've seen recently for the ducks and the last great defensive unit that i referenced a lot during the off season as we talked about hey is there going to be defensive growth when's this unit really going to pop do they have the players are they going to be better this that and the other thing in 2019 there were five occasions in which oregon played a power five opponent and held them to 10 points or fewer and that was the last great Oregon defense and I think the best one prior to that was probably 2014. They had some really, really good games. It was, you know, an offensive team for sure. But that defense had a lot of dudes. It's had Ifo Ekpreolamu, Troy Hill, uh, Joe Walker was a good player. They had Eric Dargan in the secondary, Defoe and Armstead on the defensive line, of course. But in 2019, they held the Beeves Cal, Stanford, Colorado, and Arizona to 10 points or fewer. And here against the Buffs, 42-6, to in a game in which Oregon had seven sacks, the front four were outstanding. And I'll, and I'll touch on that more later. That's the most sacks I heard Oregon's had in a game since 2017. That's how good it was. And such a stark contrast from what we saw from the defense a year ago when quarterbacks had way too much time to throw. Secondary was asked to do way too much. And this was the best defensive performance since I think Utah last year, when they only actually allowed 10 points, if you remember, the offense fumbled on a trick play and Utah had a scoop and score, they allowed 10 points to the Utes, had a couple of fourth down stops, and, uh, and the Utes also threw three interceptions that, that Oregon was able to get two of them uh, from Bennett Williams and one of them from... Oh, why don't I remember that? I don't know. Um, anyway, so the, the Ducks had... A really, really good defensive performance, but I think this one was better. So last year against Utah, in that game at Austin Stadium, which was the crown jewel of Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoi's defense in 2022, it won them the game. Because remember, Bo Nix was on one leg. He could barely move. We didn't think he would play. We, were, I was talking on the show about what Ty Thompson needed to do to win the football game. Utah had 326 yards of offense in that game. 326. The Buffs on Saturday had 199. Oregon had three interceptions and two stops on fourth down in that game against the Utes, but they had no sacks, no sacks. Is Utah's offensive line better? Yes. But seven sacks, even against a Buffs front five that is not up to standard to compete at a Pac-12 championship level, which we all knew going in and Colorado fans had to learn on the field on Saturday, that was as dominant as you could have possibly been. The Buffs had 18 plays that yielded 19 yards to begin the game. This wasn't a good defensive outing. This wasn't above average. This wasn't surpassing expectations. This was complete and utter dominance. And we haven't seen Oregon's defense do that in a while. Was Colorado, you know, what their fans thought they were? No. Were they a team that still knew how to score points? Yeah, they did. They absolutely did. I don't care if they weren't playing the highest quality power five competition. TCU in the big 12 this year is going to win between seven and nine football games. And Colorado went in there and put up 45 points. And against Nebraska, who again, is probably around a 500 football team, still a power five program. They put up 36 points. Oregon didn't let them score in the first half. And I think motivation was a big part of that. I wrote about this over at 750 of the game. I thought Lanning's motivation struck the perfect chord, and he was a he was a coach's coach on Saturday. He had the scheme, he had his guys ready, he had them motivated, he had them disciplined enough—not perfectly. We'll talk about that later as well. Um, I I just can't think of a lot of performances from Oregon's defenses over the years that match up with what this one did. Was Travis Hunter not being there a factor? It helped but that would have put them a little bit over 200 yards. He wasn't making that much of a difference. Shudor Sanders had nowhere to throw the football. His receivers couldn't separate. Hunter might have helped in that regard. But guess what? With the way we were playing, it looks like we could have bracketed him, said, let's make the other guys beat us, which is what we were doing, and they just weren't getting open. Kyrie Jackson said, nope. We didn't call Jaleel, hear Jalil Florence's name get called throughout the entire broadcast. You know why? He's just covering dudes. They're just not open. No one's throwing the ball at Jalil Florence right now. He looks awesome. Kyrie Jackson looked great. So I, I, you know, some of those games in 2019, great performances. I don't think any of those offenses, 2019 Oregon State, that was year, I think two under Jonathan Smith. I think, yeah, I think it was year two under Jonathan Smith. Um, That that was not a great offense. Uh, They had a backup quarterback in that game. Cal. Never a great offense. They're better this year, but never never that good. Uh, Stanford that year was not a very good offense. Colorado was bad. Arizona wasn't that good. And that's how you want to look against those teams in 2019. But Colorado this year, Shador Sanders was one of the five leading passers in the country. I think he was like second or third coming into this game. And he went for 159 yards. It was just utter dominance. One, one defensive performance I did think of that rivals this one that's underrated is uh, the 2014 Pac-12 championship game against a top 10 Arizona team who had beaten us at Austin earlier that season. Final score is 51 to 13. Arizona had just 224 yards of total offense. Like those are the, this sort of performance to me was on par with any of those instances. If you're talking about power five competition that's capable of scoring points, I I mean, I, I don't know how the defense could have looked better. That's a good way to think about it is the defense in that first half How could they possibly have looked better? Colorado couldn't run the football. Shador Sanders couldn't complete passes down the field. Our corners were glued to their wide receivers. We had constant pressure. Shador was getting harassed all the time, which is what should have happened to some extent because Colorado's offensive line isn't very good. I didn't think it would be like that because I thought Colorado would try to utilize the quick passing game. And I think they wanted to. You saw that on their first play from scrimmage. But guess what? The secondary and the linebackers, they look better in coverage across the board. Xavier Weaver, that guy is not a scrub. He's one of the leading receivers. I think he leads the country in receptions, or at least he did going into that week. I don't know if he still does, but he was one of the leaders in that category nationally. Jimmy Horn's a good player. Like Even without Travis Hunter, those are a good couple of receivers. They're not Washington or USC's caliber, but certainly they're far from a bottom five unit in the pac 12 uh they're a lot closer to the top than the bottom and bottom and they're talented and, and Oregon just shut them down they just they just put put the clamps on there so one of the best defensive performances I've seen from the Ducks in quite a long time I love seeing that and there were a couple things in particular that uh that stood out the most something that always stands out to me is how great LinkedIn jobs is, because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go in there, create a free job post, takes a couple of minutes. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring and then let LinkedIn jobs help you out because simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates that you actually want for the job. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Cruising on this show aided by second segment sip as always defense was cruising big time on saturday two things that stood out number one the quarterback pressure seven sacks seven sacks so against their two power five opponents this year we asked questions all offseason with good reason oregon had a historically bad year getting after quarterbacks in 2022 so we asked questions you know Are they better on paper? Yeah, I think so. Jordan Birch, Taylor Uyunglele, the true freshmen, Tatum Tuioti and Blake Purchase are playing way more than I thought they would. (laughs) And they look really, really good. They look really, really good. You bring back Popo Amavai from injury. Casey Rogers is a beast. We know Dorless is a stud. You look at that and say, on paper, that's a better unit than last year. Well, against two power five opponents, and remember they had one sack against Texas Tech negated because of a penalty. So let's factor that in as well. They have 12 sacks in two games, 12, 12 sacks in two games against power five competition. Yet that'll get the job done. If you keep that rate up and guess what? When you play Caleb Williams, you know what you have to do? You know what Oregon state did in Corvallis last year to slow him down, to have, make him play his worst game of the season they got pressure on him they rattled him they got in his head and they didn't you know give him a bunch of open plays down the field that secondary last year for the beavs was really really good Oregon secondary also looks really good more on them in just a moment but I mean the the combinations that we have and the depth of talent is crazy it's crazy and there's a blend of youth and experience newcomers and returners popo Dorlis, Rogers, Taimani, returners, all having great seasons. Birch, newcomer that's a veteran. Then you look at guys, Amarion Winston's getting snaps. Blake Purchase, Tatum Tuioti. Was that not a glimpse of the future? When those two guys generated a sack all on their own? I think it was Purchase who beat the right tackle and then Tatum, or no, Purchase beat the left tackle And then that forced Sanders off his spot and Tatum Tuioti came in and finished the job. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute. Those are a couple of true freshmen. True freshmen. What are those two guys going to look like when they're juniors? Oh boy. I'm focused on 2023. I also pay attention. It's kind of my job on what can happen in 2024 and beyond. And if you're going into next year with a pass rushing trio at the edge position, of Mateo, Purchase and Tatum Tuioti I'm just saying that's a good start quite a good start the pressure was awesome it was just aggressively refreshing to see us pressuring a quarterback time and time again after last year it was just no pressure no pressure no pressure over and over that this is just a much better front four. their ability to get after the passer. Like it's clearly better than last year. Is it good enough to contain USC and Washington's offenses enough? We're going to find out, but I, I don't know how much better they could look like through two games against your power, five opponents, 12 sacks. I mean, you know, 11 on the stat sheet or whatever, but 12 instances in which someone came in and tackled the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage. What, what, what more could you want? What more could you want? Let's talk about the secondary now. And Kyrie Jackson was the star. He's not the only stud. He was the standout. He's not the only good player back there. He's one of them. And you talk about accepting coaching, credit the staff, Demetrius Martin, Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupo, all those guys, Chris Hampton, for the job they did, and you'd probably go to Coach Martin first. That's his position, Coach. What Kyrie Jackson wasn't able to do against Texas Tech on that pass interference play that I think probably gave seven points to Texas Tech as they moved down the field. That was a third and 18. I think Oregon goes down and at least gets a field goal. The game feels different. Defense is playing better. Um, And instead of getting off the field as they should have, Jackson makes a bonehead play. Well, guess what? Kyrie Jackson didn't make any bonehead plays on Saturday. He did the opposite. He made heady plays. That, That shift in a two week span is awesome and that's great coaching and that's a willingness to be coached and to listen to the guys who are telling you to be the best version of yourself you need to do this and that weakness was clearly identified because on that instance he showed an utter lack of ball skills just no ball skills not even going to go up for it or anything he looked like christian gonzalez on saturday the way he played at Oregon last year. Because he was stride for stride with most of his receivers. When he gets a little burn, he's got the closing speed to make up the distance, as he did on one of the pass breakups that he had. He had, I think, three pass breakups on the day. He's also an excellent tackler. We already knew that. But the way that he got his head around was physical, but not overly aggressive to draw a flag and just swatted the ball away. It was flawless. I mean, it was a thing of beauty to watch and that compared to the guy we saw two weeks ago makes me feel encouraged about this coaching staff and about Kyrie Jackson himself and how about the rest of the secondary a couple times on the broadcast and I talked about this on Saturday's show but it bears repeating they were definitely sad that Colorado wasn't making it a game and that was clear and obvious and that's what it is and that's what makes the win feel more sweet Honestly, you know, Dion says all the time. Well, you know, I don't take shots at anybody. I don't say anything. That's kind of true. Actually, he, he doesn't mention other people. He does things that he knows are going to rile others up for a particular reason one way or the other. But of the lot of the reason that people get annoyed with Colorado is the way the media treat them. And so it felt a little bit sweeter in that sense. However, on the broadcast, they would show sometimes the angle from behind Shadur Sanders and what he was looking at. And number one. Oregon was rarely giving him time to go through more than one progression and a check down and oftentimes not even the check down. And number two, if you look out in those particular instances, nobody's open, <laughs> like, there were just not a lot of guys open. I heard Matt Prem on the Odds and Audible's podcast, uh, reflecting on a conversation he had with a Colorado guy at halftime of the game, and the Colorado guy was telling him, there's just nobody open, like they, they, they cannot separate from this Oregon secondary. And one of my takeaways after the Texas Tech game was we need to clean up the penalties. But boy, the front four look better and the whole team looks faster. Everybody looks faster. Well, they're playing a lot faster. They're, they're, not, they're not. I don't know why my mic went, got muted right there. Hmm, that's weird. Colorado was trying to take deep shots and we just weren't letting them. They just weren't available. They're trying to hit crossers. and eh, They weren't there. George sure, Sanders could look at one guy. He often wasn't open and then there was pressure in his face. That's what great defense looks like. That, that that's, you know, what Georgia did to us last year. Except we moved the ball on Georgia better than Colorado moved it against Oregon. I, I mean, I mean that was that was utterly fantastic. Um the coverage was just high high level stuff. Uh it was it was really really good. If you have any thoughts about the game or questions, Mailbag's always open YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks, DMS and mentions wide open. If you want priority mailbag access though, as in your question goes to the top of the line, I get a lot of different questions and then I got to have to, I have to sort through and say, I'll put this one on that show, that one on that show and put it over here. If you want to go priority and get an answer right away. Join the Locked on Ducks subtext community, link in the description below wherever you're listening to or watching, watching this show. 14-day free trial, and then after that, $5 a month. Not a requirement. I appreciate you no matter what. Just an option available for those who desire it. You can also chat with me one-on-one uh, more consistently. I look over there much more than uh, social media. So what still needs work? Things do still need work. Oregon is not a perfect product here. Product, they do, however, look very, very good. It is hard to have looked better outside of penalties than Oregon has through the first four weeks. Texas Tech was far from a perfect game. You got the penalty yards in half. I think they win by two scores. Heck, you just take off 50 yards of the 124 yards, not even half. And I think Oregon wins that game by two scores. Nevertheless, the Ducks have looked really, really good. But those penalties, still a couple of moments. Now, Mace Funa... Was really surprised that he hit Shadur Sanders late. That was a late hit. Wasn't needed. It was after the whistle. I think part of that was just the intensity of the game. And we'd already kind of won at that point. Um, but overall, there is still things. I mean, Josh Connerly is doing a great job in in the offensive line department. He's still struggling with pre-snap stuff. Struggled at Texas Tech. He had three false starts. He had another one or two against, uh, against Colorado. Like those sorts of things have to be cleaned up and if they aren't eventually that's going to cost us a game colorado is a much improved team and i think they can be a solid team in the pac-12 this year they're not a great team but oregon has at least three great teams on their schedule this year left oregon state will see but washington usc utah i know that those are great football teams or really good well above average whatever you want to say if oregon can't clean up the penalties it's going to cost them it is going to cost them one of those games if they continue in these in these select moments it's gotten better not as many pass interference calls but it still has to be it still has to be a little bit more cleaned up You'll always be cleaned up and refined, them with athletic brews. Because much like Bo Nix and company were making plays that were changing the game uh, kind of constantly against the Swiss cheese defense of Colorado on Saturday, athletic brewing company has changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. I know, what a concept. Their brews are great tasting, award-winning, and beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. One of you sent me a message about, hey, I didn't get a chance to listen to the pod until later, but thought it was good and everything, but I didn't see it on Saturday night because I had too many non-athletic brews. Well, there's an easy solution to that. Have some athletic brews. No hangovers ever. They're fit for all times. You can find athletic brewing companies, non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's code LOCKEDON at checkout, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All right, still got a lot to get to. One, one thing that I'm not worried about, um, Oregon only scored seven points in the second half. And one one or two of you had commented like, "Hey, why did this only happen?" Worried about that. I'm not. I think that was a pretty classic case of we made our statement, and you know Oregon also went down the field in the second half, went for it on fourth and goal from the five. That wouldn't usually happen. You know, in a normal environment, you'd go you'd go for the field goal there, uh, and Camden Lewis would make it. So, ten points in the second half. But I, I don't I don't care quite as much. Um, when the game gets out of hand, because if it gets out of hand at that, like once that happens, I don't care quite as much. Um, I don't think that Oregon was going to keep going into their bag of offensive plays. I think they were going to keep it simple, try to get out with as few injuries as possible. looks like we'll be without Noah Whittington for a couple of weeks, which we can survive, but I'd like to definitely get him back at some point because he's a really good player. But I, I just think that offensively, you know, Dan Lanning at halftime, oh, we're not satisfied. Yeah, true. However, there's an inherent component of we're not going to play offensively the same way we did in the first half. Don't need to, don't want to, don't have to. I don't think they did, so I'm not super worried about that. All right, let's get into the mailbag here. Uh, subtext is up first because that's how it works. Priority mailbag questions. You don't have to wait as long to get your question on the show, and you don't have to wait as long to hear it on the show. One of uh, several perks of being in the subtext over there. So, lost in all the attention given to Oregon football this past weekend, Hayward Field hosted the Prefontaine Classic Diamond League meet. On Sunday, I was able to attend and saw two world records in the women's 5,000 meters broken by five seconds. That's a lot. And in the men's pole vault by Mondo Duplantis, for the second consecutive year at hayward field today eugene was officially announced as the host of the 2024 track and field olympic trials in june 2024 your thoughts and how our track program and stadium helps bring speed to the oregon football team and recruiting yeah it's a tool i i mean it, it's unquestionably a tool there are guys you know like Roderick pleasant for instance that that run track and you know running track and playing on the football team is not something uh new to the world of college football. And I don't think it's a huge appeal. Like if, if we didn't have Hayward field, would Oregon still be able to recruit at a high level? Yeah. Yeah, they would. But for the individual recruit, like they're just select individual guys who might want to continue running track in college. And if they do track town, USA, baby, like that, that's, that's about as strong a pitch as you can make on that front. There aren't that many guys. That make up a class that are going to have that as a high priority but for the you know every now and then recruit yeah sure it it absolutely can be it doesn't do anything but help um but it's not like it's a foundation of oregon's recruiting for guys who are fast because most guys are fast uh, or most guys that are fast coming out of high school don't run track but for the few that do yeah it's a pretty strong sales pitch um because it's awesome it also has to look cool on a visit even if you're not a track person Uh, This one from John, question for the mailbag. I was struck last night watching uh, the Giants 49ers game, how similar Oregon's offense looks to San Fran's. I mean, the 49ers under under, under center a lot and we are not. I mean, we have three running backs, the 49ers McCaffrey. He's worth three running backs though. But the general offensive approach is to be super efficient and spread the ball out to wherever the defense was spread thin. Reacting to playmakers just looks like Oregon... Uh, last year and this year thoughts yeah i mean you, you heard kenny dillingham last year before the season and i think will stein said this as well will stein's quote was feed the studs i think kenny dillingham's quote last year i recall was you know it's a pro style offense and what that used to mean is you're going to be under center all the time like utah and oregon state but now what it's come to really mean when when you hear that quote from a coach is you're, you're wanting to put your guys in one-on-one situations and get them the ball out in space. And, and I think the 49ers comparison is apt in that we have a lot of different weapons. We use them very well. We use them in different ways. And you cannot just sit back and wait for the one thing that Oregon does well offensively. We do a lot of things well. got the ground game going on on Saturday against the Buffs, as we should have. Passing game was still superb. Bo Nix had the interception. He just needed to float it over the top. It was probably a touchdown, just the miscommunication there. But I think the the versatility that you see in that 49ers offense, you know, the way they use Debo Samuel, I don't think we have a guy like that, but they use McCaffrey in the passing game. We use our running backs in the passing game. They'll move guys around with a lot of different motion concepts. I, I, I think Will Stein's doing a nice job. I loved, by the way, That goal line play that we scored on for the second touchdown, the flip out to Casey Kelly, that was an RPO quarterback power. Uh, If if Bo had his head up, he would have seen Trayshawn Holden was actually wide open in the corner of the end zone. I like that stuff. I I, I thought it was clever, but not too cute. And it was effective. And you're trusting your guys to be able to make plays. And I think that a good offensive coordinator and Kyle Shanahan is that and Will Stein is that as well, is able to get his players who are the best playmakers opportunities to make plays. And have you ever felt that a playmaker on the Ducks wasn't getting the ball enough, wasn't getting enough looks, wasn't, you know, receiving an ample opportunities to make an impact on the game? I've, I haven't felt that way. Who've been the go-to guys? Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson, Sean Holden, Gary Bryant, Terrence Ferguson, who were all our best players on the depth chart that we projected coming into the year. All of those guys, every running back, like, I, I think the versatility, cleverness and creativity uh, and introduction of, of the RPO, um, love that we're back to running, you know, what Moorhead brought last year and Dillingham didn't do quite as much, which is that kind of modern day triple option where you just have that, that RPO mesh point, you run the tight end into the flat, uh, ran that well with T-Ferg, we've done it a couple times this year, I, I think that those sorts of concepts are, are really effective, and it's kind of a hot trend in college football right now because it's a really good, <laughs> it's a really tough thing to stop. And if you have good playmakers the way we do and you know how to get in the ball, then that's something that is going to allow you to do that, to get them the football in space. And um, I, I don't think we look the same as the 49ers, but I think conceptually. It's the same concept of we want to give our guys an opportunity to make plays as often as possible. And I think Will Stein's doing a nice job. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.